1: Hi, everyone. It's uh, Roxanne Durhaj of The Authentic Living with Roxanne. Today, I have uh, Arnie Friedman with me today. Hi, Arnie. How are you today?
0: Hi, just great. How are you doing? Uh,
1: So Arnie's uh, gracious with his presence today, and he's done a lot of things in his career path, but uh, I thought I'd tell you a little bit about his his, his bio that I have in front of me. Uh, His path, life journey, has led him on a path of passion and whole person authenticity, and you know that I talk about to see, uh, as much as I can, spirituality, um, financial, healthcare, and education. His expansive history and shared depth of character and enables him to serve as an insightful guide for folks in search of their inner, most truest self, and, and a path that I know all of us are on on an on ongoing basis. Uh, Arnie's a feeler. Uh, he, fee- he feels life, his and yours, deeply uses love, wisdom, spirituality, humor, fresh air. And food, I like that part to to, to lead people home. So, Arnie, you've uh, obviously had a full career path, and you know you've been in health and wellness for a very long time. So, kind of share with uh, the listeners what made you choose the, this path uh, way back when.
0: I don't know if I made a choice. I was conscious. <laughs> it kept evolving. Um, I uh, started out by really wanting to uh, clean up our cities and studied urban planning and city management until I realized that that wasn't really the path that I wanted to take. And so I actually uh, bought a farm in West Virginia, started teaching college and looking at our history, who we are. And that led to really wanting to explore models of learning. So I went off and did my graduate work in transformative learning models and develop different ways that we actually can hear information and take it in and different patterns and tones and frequencies and so on. From there, I got so enthralled in healing coming out of a philosophy from the East. And so I started studying Chinese medicine. Uh, At the time, it was illegal in the US to practice acupuncture. And I, um, being who I am, I said, well, that's silly. So I worked with the state of Massachusetts and co-founded the first acupuncture school in the U.S. And after that, we worked on getting the profession licensed. I got so intrigued at that point with the intersection of healthcare, philosophy, and spirituality. And then I went to the West Coast, California, and founded... uh, the first naturopathic medical college there. Well, at that point, after getting the school all set up, opened, which was no easy thing to accomplish, I then developed Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh my
1: goodness.
0: Was told I would be dead. And at the time I said, no, I don't think so. I was in my early thirties and started to delve very deeply into my own life what was going on inside me, and developed models to really look and listen deeply to what's going on inside of my being, and created a strategy for how I was gonna get through this illness. And in so doing, at the same time, learned the depth that we all have within ourselves and how we can really go in and pay attention to that really profound place where we can pay attention to what's occurring. And that began uh, what has now been a life's journey, uh, looking at that from a deep, rigorous place of doing that work.
1: So tell me, like you must have, obviously you get a diagnosis like this. This is, you know, any of us get scared, right? As soon as we get something like that. And I think I read, um, I don't know if it was on your website or that you, in the hospital, You bought a house.
0: (laughs) I was, (laughs) they, they told me one day that uh, it had spread and sent in the social workers Mm. and they said, you know, well, this is what's happening. And, you know, you should get things in order. So instead of getting things in order, I bought a home. They said, well, you're crazy. I said, well, that's most likely true. (laughs) But what's that got to do with anything? I said, buying a home First of all, would give my family a place to be. And second of all, was an affirming uh, action to say, I'm not ready to leave yet. And one way or the other, if I'm not here, they have a home. And if I am here, we have a home. And it, it, But it was an affirmation, wasn't it? It was an action step to say, I'm not ready to move on yet. I mean, they told me a few times after doing too many surgeries, that they kept seeing it in different places, but it never was there in those new places. So truthfully, at one point, I blessed them, thanked them, and said, it's time to move on because I have a life to now live, and started to really focus in different directions. I would also say for those that are in, you know, encountering real life physical uh, crisis, we need to take control of our own journey. We need to bring in all the skills and the support, which may or may not include allopathic physicians. In my case, I worked with one of the most extraordinary Chinese practitioners who was the quarterback. And he and I took charge of what we were gonna do, but we brought in the allopathic providers who offered their skills, which are immense. But we also brought in all the other practitioners and philosophers and thought thought leaders to look at what direction and how we were going to proceed. Um, so we can't listen to something as the full gospel. We have to take it in and then we analyze what the meaning of that is in our own journey.
1: So clearly, I mean, what had happened to you, you know, your body was giving you signs, you know, something had to shift. And I'm going to think that you really had to go inside, deep inside to really listen. And I often say, you know, we, we get the signs, right? We get the psychological signs and we can, we can bat that out, you know, all the way, as far as we want. And then the emotions, they get, they get deeper and they get stickier and then we think, Oh, I got, I'm going to ignore this one too. Right. And we do this. And then all of a sudden You know, we start to get physical symptoms and then we have to go up, show up and see the doc who says, you know, you got to do some things. So in your life, what, when you, when you got this diagnosis, what did you do to kind of, were you already connected to untraditional forms of medicine
0: or? Yeah, well, I was running the naturopathic school at this time. And as I said, previously, I was running the acupuncture school. I was already in a different space. But you know, there's a difference when you're running the school and now when you have to face your own journey. So one of the things I did, which of course they struggled with at the hospital, was I started to look at different forms of going within. Mm-hmm. And I started with different meditative techniques, which I found were wonderful to get me in, but I needed to learn a strategy for myself, what worked for me. And I taught myself a way to go into what I now call the portal. There's the portal inside of ourselves, where we basically have stories going on, right? We have movies happening all the time. Either we're going to write those stories or become the playwright of these wonderful journeys, or they're going to write themselves. They're going to come from the journey with, that we've taken that we may not even be aware of what we're doing. It could come from our mothers, our teachers, the workplace, our peer group, the tribes that we associate with. They're probably coming from all of those sources and we've lost our essence in the midst of that. And I went to a portal where I would, I said, where am I the most at peace? Where do, where do I want to be? Well, for me, I want it to be sitting by a pond under a willow. It just feels great. Leaning on that willow tree. Sort of a little Walt Whitman kind of an experience (laughs) with leaves of grass. And I, by the way, have done a couple of walks with Walt. So that's a story that I'll talk about in my workshop experiences where we walk with, I ask people to take a walk and speak with whoever they've wanted to speak with their whole life my case, it's Walt. So I did that. It was pretty powerful stuff once you're there. So I found a place of peace and harmony, which in the midst of all that fear, and it's quite clear I was dealing with fear. When you're dealing with life and death, Mm -hmm. we can't you know, kid ourselves. I was very much dealing with fear, and I had to chill it out. I learned how to do that. One day, someone mentioned that I should go see this extraordinary French Moroccan hypnotist. And she was much more than that. And she said, let's go in and see what happens. So we went in. She said, I pulled, she pulled me out. Arnie, you're already there, so let's go really in and do the work. And she knew I was in the, under the willow by the pond. She said, now let's really go for it, Arnie. What's happening with your child? And it happened to be my seven-year-old self sitting in the corner of a room like in a fetal position. Oh, no, Arnie. Bring that child out. Hold his hand. Together, you're going to walk into the pond now. You're not just sitting by the pond. And you're going to go to the bottom of the pond. It's dark. It's murky. I couldn't catch my breath until I could. Mm -hmm. And the lesson there was, hang in, it will work out. My seven-year-old and me were walking through the bottom of the pond together until we were called out and then sat back under the willow. Mm -hmm. Well, she taught me I needed to communicate with my seven-year-old and I call on my seven-year-old when I need to, when I want to. He calls on me. And one of the most extraordinary things is I learned how to soften. Mm -hmm. And I learned how to hold my heart. Mm -hmm. So I take information in through the heart. It then goes to the mind, which the neurotransmitters send out through the body. So that way, I was raised in New York with a bit of a tough edge. (laughs) it's there when it needs to be. But that beauty of the softness of who we are paying attention, listening and bringing the world in through the heart is the gift that I've been given through that whole journey.
1: What an amazing story. You know, it's, it's interesting because I'm a a trauma specialist and you know, I, I, I see so many people that get stuck, right? They, they, like you said, you go into that portal and, you know, and, and it's almost like they're making the same bend and they know they're going to crash, but they, they come around the same bend right. with the same story and the same narrative over and over again. And it's really having people recognize that, you know, unfortunately, you know, we all go through to have lived is to have had pain. That's a reality of life. But That's you don't ha- that does not define who you are. But oftentimes people don't know how to get out of it. Right. They're stuck there. That seven year wow. old is stuck and they're disconnected from that seven-year-old uh, because that seven-year-old own, not only holds joy, but they hold pain.
0: You know, we live in a culture, particularly these days, for those of us that have lived a, a while, where we're not really given permission to go into that deeper place. And for a, we talk about how the male needs to soften, but we don't have any real guides, and we don't mm-hmm. have the support. I see my strength as an inner journey. And I see myself and my being when I walk into a room, I'm very clear now that I walk into the room filled with joy, even in the sadness. I've had a lot of sadness. Mm -hmm. We all carry that with us. And so how do we hold that, holding the joy that surrounds us? There's this fullness and abundance that really is the essence of who we are. And then this stuff of life, that stuff, we're balancing the air and the earth, and walking on the earth is a deep journey. And so we have to bring that beautiful self into it. For me, it came through studying uh, deeply in the realms of deep philosophy, Eastern thought, getting ill, and exploring different, uh, you know, when I had a practice, and, and treating people and so on, and then my own crisis. And it wasn't just one crisis. So how do we keep going further and further in there? And so the book I've written, which is a culmination, I'll say there's a few aspects to the book. It's quite unique. I had no idea that this book would come out the way it did. A few years ago, probably 10 now, at 3 a.m. in the morning, every single morning, I'm trying to sleep, I would get awakened. I didn't know what was happening. If I didn't pay attention, I was getting headaches. So I got a pad of paper and I put it next to my bed. And I'd start allowing whatever was gonna come out to come out. And what came out was poetry and a particular style of poetic that is about opening the heart and going in. And all of a sudden, dozens of poems start flowing out over the weeks. And then I asked myself, can I come and do this at three in the afternoon? So I'd like to get some sleep. And in that, I learned now how to actually have a conversation with that inner self that's going on that needs to bring out these words. So the book came together with the poetry, pretty deep stories, practices, and blessings. And it's looking at, that stranger within ourselves that we've either hidden in the corner, become numb to, and we need to now basically reclaim ourselves. And then we need to take this journey, which the book is actually an active journey, looking at how we in fact come to that center place, which is our home. So it starts with reclaim and ends with home. And we take this journey.
1: And, and I think, you know, it's regardless if with my practice or when I'm speaking or when, when I'm talking to, uh, you know, directors or HR, people are looking for the same things. Yeah. We are all looking for the same things. We're, you, I, know,
0: and, you know, I work with some school districts with the health and wellness programs. And I'm working with some districts now in some pretty conservative <laughs> areas. And first they started to look at me at what are our differences. Mm -hmm. And I said, why don't you hang in there with me a little while and let's see if in fact we can get past our differences because I see them as an illusion. And if our hearts can meet, and if we truly want to do the work together, let's go on this journey together. It's much easier to do it with people that we think we agree on everything.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I've been doing it uh, in this one area for three years, and I'm still there. And they're now saying to me, I thought you were crazy when we first met. (laughs) I didn't understand you. And now I'm, in fact, opening to things that you're showing me. I wasn't even allowed to use the word mindfulness. Mm. And now we're able to look at these things and explore together. I, I have this one person politically a little different, and we set that aside because we know that what we're really looking for is the same thing. We all wanna have a life filled with joy and happiness. We all wanna share and be with each other. We want to give and be in relational. And as my mentor, Bob Kimball, who just passed in about the last two years, I'm really, really sad. Bob's work was looking at the intersection of love and violence. This culture, Bob said, chose to look at law. Love is a much deeper, really, it, love takes practice. Love takes work. I choose love. Mm-hmm. I choose to do the work together that brings us into this place where we choose to want to meet. And Martin Buber said, what is God? God is in the meeting. Mm-hmm. Meeting in an I, thou, in a sacred way, rather than meeting in an I, it, object way. So mm-hmm. first we have to open in a discerning way to one another through ourselves. And if we bring our authentic self to each other, then nothing can really get in the way, can it? We're bringing our fullness into the, wherever it is that we're engaging at that time.
1: And I think, you know, what happens today, and I don't know if you'd agree, is half of the time people are, their facades are on so much that they forget to take them off, right? (laughs) Because- you know, the, everybody's walking around with this personas that they think they should be, you know, and then all really, you know, when I see it, when people are truly connected or when, you know, it's that co-creation that is allowed to happen once people drop their defenses and they, and they can connect on such a profound level that healing can just happen.
0: I think you're exactly right. And that if we even are willing or available to put down that facade for a little while many of us see this bravado as a man i'm supposed to act a certain way right it didn't work for me all those years so i don't want to keep doing it and i find out let's let's try other things so one of the things in the exercises i do in the workshop are around rewriting our stories mm-hmm. and i say to folks try this try a different story on for yourself let's go into the portal and write a different story. Oh, if certain aspects of it don't feel right, don't work really well, rewrite it. We can consistently rewrite these stories and we don't have to live with the old ones that are not working for ourselves. And there's, I think sometimes, you know, the first word in the, in the Bible, in the Hebrew scriptures, in Hebrew is bereshis, which was translated so often as in the beginning. Everyone knows the words in the beginning. I go, wait a minute, a little shift in a beginning.
1: <laughs> right, for sure. You know, I I, I want to back up because I think something that I really want to touch on um, is the portal. Like, so you talked a little bit about that meditative state, which, you know, I know there's different ways to get there. But you, you said you created something called a portal. Can you, can you chat a little bit more? Because I know I want to know more. And I'm sure everybody's listening is going, okay, what, what's he talking about?
0: Yeah. Well, so many of us have tried on many different meditations. Many many of us started with TM, right? We started years ago doing TM. And then we moved to different, or some of us stay with TM. It's fine. And some of us explore different things. Maybe it's Vipassana and they, whatever, we go off into all different ways. And I realized for me, there are wonderful ways of calming and allowing that monkey brain to slow down. But I had work to do. I wanted to do some work in there. So I said to myself, well, take whatever works well for me. And for me, it's a way of quieting myself, quieting that monkey brain And there, again, we could chat probably at another time, because it takes a while to look at different strategies to do that. But when I get into that place of quiet, where I'm feeling comfortable, I then send a message from my heart to where I would like to be. It's almost like a, it is, it's a film. I'm watching a movie of walking to the (laughs) willow, sitting by the pond, sitting down, Mm -hmm. and start basically crafting a different story. Or if I'm comfortable with the story, I stick with the story and I let it uh, grow. Mm. So it's a focus. When I was uh, dealing with the illness, I focused on what I was seeing in my body. And I would go off into different places and look at what's there. So for example, I was told it had gone to my lung. And I went, oh no. So I went into the lung and I came back and I said, my lungs are pink. They look perfectly fine. Yeah, but you're nuts. And I said, well, okay, but they still look pink. Well, they wouldn't hear me. So I went to this extraordinary oncology social worker who she and I had done work together. And she said, I trust you and I believe you. Ask the head pathologist, which put heart career on the line to reread the pathology. They were wrong. It was a virus mm. and it wasn't there. And they didn't want to tell me that and lose face. So they just called me in and said, well, we're going to start treatments again. Oh. How do we really look at ourselves and it's not looking at ourselves in a sort of a silly airy fairy kind of a way. It's really going in deep what's there. But then I need to call on other assistants to confirm or to support. And that becomes very important because we know the Buddha talked about the importance of the Sangha. We need a community. We need a community, though, that really is there to meet us. Mm -hmm. And so many of us, particularly in this culture, we get our community at work, we get our community from our, Stephen Stephen Levine used to talk about, uh, family of origin versus family of choice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Many of us go to our family of origin when in fact we might be able to develop families of choice that really are there to support us. We need to bring the whole thing together.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And then we need to stick with this. And that's why the Buddha called it practice. Gurjeev calls it the work. But we need to go into these places and we need to keep bringing teachers in. So I've had the privilege to do retreats with extraordinary beings like Titnat Han, and to sit with the Dalai Lama and, and, and listen to him, talk to a group of extraordinary people. And you know, you go off with great teachers that I've been able to study with, and so on. We need to bring these folks in. We need to have a mentor, mm-hmm. or more. <laughs> we need to have a muse. We need to bring in these folks into our lives. And if we're a little, don't know how to do that, or we're concerned that we don't have really great discernment as yet, then why not start with wonderful, uh, like I do these, what I call experiences where we come together and we do listen. And one person said to me at at an experience, I I would like you to take more authority in the room. (laughs) And I said, no kidding. (laughs) <laughs> I really am only interested in facilitating your taking more authority. Right, right. I used to take authority believing that was the real thing to do. My only role here is to offer assistance, support, guidance to be a facilitator. I'll help you find your own authority. And some people are ready for that. Some people still need a little more work. So How do we journey? We need to find teachers that are not taking anything from us, but enhancing who we already are.
1: And And I'll show
0: you one quick thing. I'm sorry. One quick thing. I now do it automatically. I put my hands on my heart throughout the day. When I feel, right, and I get stressed, I'm in a situation, I'm listening to something going on in the political scene that I can't get away from. Whatever it is, I put my hands on my heart. I cup my heart. How can you not feel your heart? And that goes right into my mind and throughout my body because we now have the knowledge that our neurophysiology mm-hmm. is very much controlled by how we're thinking, feeling, and experiencing. I want to feel my heart.
1: Mm-hmm. I and could so,
0: go right into the portal, just holding my hands on my heart.
1: well, I can feel it and're I'm, 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 you're in you're in New Mexico and I'm in Niagara Falls, and i I could feel that shift, ernie absolutely you know so everyone
0: listening, put your hands on your heart and just breathe naturally, just breathe all you're doing is paying attention to what you're already doing mm-hmm. and you're bringing all that impulses through the heart, up to the mind, and out to the rest of the body. When your days are getting crazy, teachers tell me they have no time to meditate. I say, put your hands on your heart. One minute, two minutes, you'll be in a whole nother place. And when you go back in the classroom, imagine where you'll be mm-hmm. in you. A nurse called me on a weekend and said, I'm about to go crazy. I'm going to die. I can't even breathe. I said, Mm -hmm. what is going on? 20 family members here, and they're driving me crazy. I said, well, let's take a walk together. Are you nuts? I said, well, we're on the phone. Walk out the door. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: We took a walk together. We put our hands on our heart. Mm -hmm. She called me Monday you saved my life. I said, no, you saved your life. So whenever this is happening, walk away two minutes, put your hand on your heart.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's, it seems so simple, right? But it's, it's not easy because out of, out there in the world, like you said, what's happening politically with with you guys out in the US and, and the, you know, the violence that we're seeing all over the world, we're doing the opposites, right? We're People are thinking that mindfulness is a one-off kind of thing, but really we all have the ability to heal internally. And when we connect to ourselves, what do we do? We change what's around us. We change people, we impact people uh, implicitly, explicitly just by our actions.
0: Just by being who you are as a clear being in touch with your essence, you've come home or you're working on staying home. When you walk into a space, people are going to experience you. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It's a quiet power. All the clamor, particularly in the U.S., right now we have a leader, no matter what opens his mouth, primarily lies come out. And certainly anger and all this dissension, it hurts me. It just hurts me. Yeah. All I can do to really deal with that is to bring my heart into a room with a lot of play and humor. And how do we bring that? We need to own that we are beautiful beings. Mm-hmm. And the fact is he's there. We can do something to shift mm-hmm. the energy around that. And we can't. not Han used to say during the Vietnam War, and remember this not Han is a Vietnamese monk. Yes. We were destroying his country. The US wouldn't let him in because he was the president of the Buddhist Peace Fellowship for many years. <laughs> And Thich Han, in one of his earliest books, wrote that the US, American, Americans in the peace movement, could throw rocks and be angry better than anyone else he's ever seen. Do you know how to love, he said. Do you know how to touch in? Do you know how to give that love to each other? And if we're really gonna deal with war on many different levels, we have to learn to love.
1: Well, on that, I I don't think we can end on any better of a note that, you know, the more we love, we can make a difference. And for us to go back to basics. Now, I know you're launching your book. So tell everyone about the book because I'm sure people are probably going to want to know where they can pick up a copy or if there's digital uh, ways they can get it um, and also about your workshops that you provide.
0: Yeah. So the book is called Befriending Your Stranger. And it's currently on all the different sites, So if you like Amazon or Barnes and Noble, or even it's on Target, it's everywhere. And you go there and you can even buy it today, uh, pre-order it. It comes out September 1st, uh, Befriending Your Stranger. And the workshops are what I call, as I said, experiences. And unlike many uh, workshops that are happening these days, um, that are very large and motivational in character, uh, my experiences are very small, intentionally, to, because we can't. I want to do the work. So the workshops are uh, two and a half days where we come together to, to really, the intent is at the end of the two and a half days. And I should say, I always close whatever I'm doing and with the workshops where we cook together and share a meal. We know the power of sharing a meal together and all of a sudden the energy shifts and people start really opening up with things. So we'll spend two and a half days together doing deep, profound, experiential work, going into these places, going into the portal, learning how to do it, rewriting our stories, learning how to continually do that, and learning how to really find home. And so that's what we do and uh, they're really a lot of fun. In, I mean, I bring a lot of joy and play within the practice and the work that we do.
1: What well, sounds amazing. I, I can't thank you enough for your time today. And, uh, you know, as a psychotherapist, I, I always go back to, you know, we can create such profound change if we just align our heart, you know, to that other person that I'm in the room with, but you don't need to be um, you know, in the field where you're helping like you are or I are, it's just about just thinking, what am I feeling and what potentially is that other person across from me feeling and trying to think, what can I do to maybe reach out if you know someone's distressed or maybe a bit despair? Because you can offer that. It's like a, it's like a, that, that warm hug that you give heart to heart by just letting them know that, that you're open to connection.
0: It is about connection. And and how do we bring touch into a world that's so frightened of touch? Absolutely. And how do we do touch in a very healthy, healing way? Touch should be healing, and it shouldn't be the kind of craziness that the media talks about. So, we need to be in our sanghas where we bring together. You know how to live fully.
1: Well, thank you so much. And for everyone listening, I want you to, you know, um, you know, take the time, take the time to connect. To go into that space, that, like Arnie's saying, or uh, within yourself, because we all have profound love. We all have had things that have hurt us, that sometimes uh, might deter us from our path, and to know that you can go and sit with it um, to be able to get past that because you are not defined by your pain. We are all light. We come into this world as a light. We hit bumps along the way, but that doesn't mean it needs to get you off where you need to be. And uh, so take that step today, try to connect with someone or or to yourself to be able to connect with the others around you. Again, thanks everyone for listening. And if you're wanting more information on me, you can reach me at RoxanneDurhodge.com. I'm a mental health and wellness specialist. Take care and we'll talk to you soon. Bye Ernie.
0: Bye-bye. Thank you.